This is the Daily Rios for Wednesday, August 19th, 2015. Episode 300. Okay, that intro was a little more epic than this episode actually will be. <laughs> Not only is it episode 300, it's also the best day of the week to celebrate because it's New Comics Wednesday. And I have four recommendations for you, the listeners. And we start with The Yankee from Alternative Comics by Jason Livian and Ian McEwen. And the main protagonist of this book is explained like this. They say, the Yankee is a dumb American. He's Cosmo Vitelli. He's Prince Roger Nelson. He's a Richard Pryor monologue. Uh, they, they describe this as psychedelic economic fiction set in the nation states of America, where reality is just a part of your brain, the part that you can touch. Now, the artist, Ian McEwen, uh, is the artist on The Prophet, um, Sex, and The Tomorrows on those comics, or, or various issues of those comics. And I'm trying to honestly remember what was it about the solicitation that grabbed me initially, because I ordered this through DCBS, and it will be coming in one of my later shipments. And I'm just not sure, but here it is out today. Maybe it was a mention of Prince. Maybe it was all the purple on the cover because I'm such a sucker. But anyway, it's a 48-page black-and-white trippy superhero comic with art that in a few places reminds me of some of the best design work by Norm Brayfogle during his Batman years. Wild cape designs or elongated anatomy, anatomy and architecture, facial expressions. Um, if you want to get a gander of this comic, there's you can actually read online a hefty portion, just about half of the damn book, uh, over at studygroupcomics.com, and I'll, I'll provide a link in the show notes. And apparently, Study Group Comics... Uh, is a collection of web comics and reviews and uh, other um, comic-related solicitations and news bits. And there are other web comics that are, as what they describe, ongoing serials. One of them being "It Will All Hurt" by Farrell Dalrymple, that is being collected. So some of that artwork you can find here. Uh, there's something called Danger Country by uh, Levin Jihanian, and we have The Lone Wolf by Jennifer Parks, uh, The Secret Voice by Zach Soto, and so on and so forth. So I will provide a link for The Yankee as well, so you can look at it yourself. It may not be for everybody. Again, I'm not even certain why it was for me when I saw it in the solicitation, but I ordered it. And I didn't even see this preview before I ordered it. I think I just saw the solicitation. But it looked quirky enough, and it looked like something that would appeal to some of my comic book sensibilities. So I grabbed it. Continuing with the music theme, 
from Fanagraphics, we have Ed Piscor's Hip Hop Family Tree, the monthly comic. This is the first issue of a monthly comic book, which is ultra rare for Fanagraphics. Apparently, they say they haven't done this in 39 years. With new covers, artwork, a director's commentary section that describes the motivation process and research involved in making the Hip Hop Family Tree Treasury Editions, plus other surprises. This first issue highlights the breakdancers, graffiti artists, DJs, and MCs who formed hip hop culture beginning in the tenement rec rooms of the South Bronx in the 1970s. Not only is it a monthly fanographic comic, but the first issue comes with variant covers, which is madness. Uh, and each one spotlights a different figure from hip-hop history, including Easy e Slick Rick, and more. And the variant covers are all riffing on the Marvel 25th Anniversary cover design from 1986. Now, there were, I think, two free Comic Book Day editions of Hip Hop Family Tree. The treasury, treasury size editions are now up to Volume 3, and now we have... The remastered singles. And make no mistake, this isn't Marvel Comics trying to blow smoke up your dress, trying to convince you that they've had some kind of long-term, meaningful relationship with hip-hop music in an effort to sell you variant covers. No, variant cover rip-offs, really. No, this is Ed Pitts Piscor. Uh, he's a Pennsylvania white boy who, who grew up and has researched and lived hip-hop music and comics, and wanted to contribute to the culture of it in the only way he was able to, which is comics, the comic medium. He's not a newbie to the game. He has several graphic novels under his belt, including two with uh, the grouchy uncle of comics, Harvey Picar, which that's no joke, right? Um, I've, I'll link a bunch of stuff in the show notes, obviously, and I, I'm going to link something that I've linked before, which is a video interview with Ed from Time Magazine, where he goes deeper into the backstory of Hip Hop Family Tree and how hip hop has had a relationship with comics, with DJs and rappers taking on other identities and code names, rap battles, uh, break, beat, break beat battles, using comic book art on album covers. So hip hop certainly was aware of comics. Not that that's always been necessarily the case the other way around, no matter how much Marvel wants to try to... Uh, persuade you. So this is um, Hip Hop Family Tree, which really is an exploration of hip hop and comics. Uh, so you have to see this if you haven't. And here it is. Now you can get it in monthly format instead of those treasury editions. By the way, um, Ed Piscor has a lot of his work serialized on Boing Boing as well. So he's definitely out there as a creator. And uh, I, I love these books. I dig these books. Next, Apparently, it's a good month to be Amon K. Nwapin. He's an artist that I really hope manages to get in front of more eyes. I talked about his book, uh, Clandestino, in the last previews episode. Last week, he was mentioned on New Comics Wednesday as the artist of IDW's Boy One. And now comes Young Terrorists, number one, from Black Mask Comics. Now, Black Mask Studios has only been around since about 2012, 2013. It was founded by Brett Gerwitz, Steve Niles, and Matt Pizzoli, who is the writer of Young Terrorists. And their mission statement uh, 
Uh, it says they're a comic publisher and media production company that supports and advocates for subversive artists building bridges and breaking down barriers so their work can reach new audiences. And they've had a couple comics roll out that I've paid attention to, Occupy Comics being one of them, um, The Liberator, God Killer. Um, Grant Morrison is going to have a book coming out with them called Sinatoro. Steve Niles has a book coming out called The Disciples. It's a small publishing group. You might miss them in previews, but they're putting out interesting works, and I like to pay attention as much as I can. So this one, Young Terrorists, um, I think because it was the artist, Amon K. Nualpin, I noticed that he was doing the art, and he's someone that I'm wanting, you know, I'm paying attention to. Um, the premise for this is, what if the smoking man from the X-Files were a real person? And his daughter found out what he did for a living. The daughter of an assassinated globalist kingpin breaks out of an internment camp and leads her fellow escaped prisoners in a battle against an elitist conspiracy of shadow governments, megabanks, and military juntas in this edgy and subversive sci-fi thriller. Young Terrorists continues the legacy of DMZ and the Invisibles as it maniacally rips the scab off life under the New World Order, and revels in the pus underneath. Yeah, gross. Um, there was an interesting article with Matt Pozzolo, the writer, on a website that I don't like to give uh, promotion to too often, if at all, um, because they are producing variant covers with young terrorists that are riffs on hip-hop covers. And they're coming out, obviously, earlier than the variant covers that Marvel was putting out. So within the interview, the writer was asked about, uh, you know, him putting out these variant hip-hop cover al album covers, and so did Marvel. And he had this to say. I thought it was really interesting. He says, It's complicated because I assume a lot of the editors and creators at Marvel probably grew up on hip-hop, so I don't think it was intentionally callous. Uh, and what he's talking about is the idea that, um, you know, there's been uh, an, uh, quite a number of people doing mixing comics and hip-hop covers, uh, classic hip-hop album covers, and certainly Black, Ma Black Mask was doing it as well. And then all of a sudden Marvel made their announcement, and it just felt kind of, dis you know, I don't know, it just felt kind of false. So he's making reference to this. Um, he says, obviously, initially, I was just bummed that they released theirs first. They released their announcement first. But as I went through the images from Marvel, I became kind of more rattled by the lack of care that seems to have gone into some of the choices. The only albums we share in common are ODB and Biggie. And those were among the ones I was most concerned about doing since both ODB and Biggie died tragically. It really had to make sense for me to be willing to do these homages. I get the cleverness of Ant-Man on Biggie and Howard the Duck on ODDB, but it really felt cavalier and unsettling. They're mocked up on DeviantArt and Tumblr every day, but it's different to see major motion picture characters kind of mimicking those poses. It's not so much the homage, it's the context. With our ready-to-die homage, there's a statement in portraying those characters as babies, with a rocket launcher. At the very least, there were there were uh, there was a reason to it. It's a nod, obviously, but it's not simply a gag. 
If there wasn't a message there, we wouldn't have done it. And that's a lot of what some of the creators of um, the hip-hop superhero mashup covers that were already out there for years, that's kind of the same argument they had. Uh, not only that they felt it was Marvel biting a lot of the stuff that was already out there, but that they kind of did it all haphazardly. So um, so anyway, so that's a little sidebar to... Um, to that book coming out. So I'll be checking that out. Uh, as I said, it's a, it's a Amin K. Nualpin month, I guess. Which leads us to the final recommendation for the episode from DC Comics, Wonder Woman by George Perez, omnibus hardcover for 75 Shamamoleans. Shum- <laughs> um, so this collects the first two years of George Perez's 1980s run on Wonder Woman. It's issues 1 through 24 and Wonder Woman Annual 1. These stories reestablished Wonder Woman's heroic career with appearances by the true Greek gods of Olympus, going so far as to call uh, the one character Heracles, not Hercules, the Amazons with a heavily researched and sometimes violent backstory, and villains including Cheetah, Ares, Silver Swan, all new depictions of Wonder Woman's rogues gallery. Of course, a new supporting cast, and she was moved to the location of Boston, Massachusetts. But we still had Eddie Candy, we still had the Magic Lasso, and we still had Steve Trevor, an older Steve Trevor, with a new relationship, with a new relationship for, um, for Wonder Woman, for Diana and Steve. One that involved his mother, oddly enough. So these stories, uh, you know, this is these stories feature her introduction not only to new readers, uh, her origin, but her introduction to the larger DC universe at the time during the Legends event. Because remember, this is post-crisis. So post-crisis, Wonder Woman shows up during Legends, well after the Justice League of America has been formed. Uh, not only formed but disbanded with a and then reformed with a new team um well after superman has been uh part of the dc universe batman etc so she is very new to readers and to the dc universe uh these stories she has a crush on superman he has a crush on her there's the great challenge of the god story arc where for a hot second it was believed that Heracles might even be her father. And this was George Perez's uh, deeper exploration, if not always successful, at least deeper, of what it means to be an ambassador of peace as an Amazon. I loved this series when it came out. I was a Wonder Woman collector before this, but I think this is the one that made me really appreciate the character. I still have the issues to this day. There are four soft cover trades of this same material, but the first two are hard to find. Um, so here's at least an omnibus. It is expensive. But if you ever get, a ha- get your hands on the soft cover trades, get them because, like I said, I think they might be hard to find, at least the first two. I remember this at the time. The big deal was, you know, DC had done... Uh, the Dark Knight Returns with Batman. And then, of course, Batman Year One. And then John Byrne had revamped Superman with Man of Steel. So they said now it was the amazing Amazon's turn. 
Now, initially, this was under uh, the writer Greg Potter, who was a writer with uh, uh, on the title Gem of Sa- Gem Son of Saturn, and then they brought in George Perez as artist. Um, I don't think he had it in him in his mind that he was ever going to write it. Well, he took over writing after two issues and stayed on the book for about five years as a writer and or artist. Now, I seem to recall that there was an ad that kicked off this series. And it was an ad that was tipped into a book. So it was like an ash can inside of a comic. It was only maybe about half the size of the comic. And it had black and white preview pages. I might be blanking on this because I can't find anything online. I could probably dig through my collection to see if other books at the time had this ad in. Or I might be going crazy. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody has to know what I'm talking about. Where did I see a black and white preview of the first issue... Um, it's not one of the DC currents because I I remember that one because I cut it all up and, um, I still have some of the images to this day. It it was inside a comic and as it, like I said, it felt like it was tipped in and you, maybe it was even color. I'm not sure. And it, it was only half the size and you, it was only a couple pages. Um, they may even have been out of order. I don't know. Some, uh, it's in the back of my brain that this was a thing. And uh, someone has to help me out here. but uh, Or maybe I'll find it in my collection someday. Not only do I love this series, but I've always wanted to do a run of podcasts on this series, on this particular volume. Obviously because of the George Perez connection. And uh, I know there's a, a Wonder Woman, at least one Wonder Woman podcast already out there, the Invisible Jetcast. I don't know how current it is. Um, I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll incorporate it into the Tower podcast uh, when it gets to 1986-1987. Now, what's interesting about that is the secret of the Tower podcast, which I haven't really talked before, um, and which is buried here at the end of this episode, so some people may not even hear it, um, is that, okay, it it was a new Teen Titans podcast. I knew it was going to be a Dick Grayson podcast to some degree, And I also knew it was going to be a George Perez podcast to some degree. But with the tower name, one of the other ideas that relates to a tower was that I was going to eventually also talk about Grant Morrison's JLA because their headquarters was the Watchtower, right? Get it? See what I did? So I always meant it to be some kind of like umbrella theme, even to the point where Shortly after I released the first episode of The Tower way back in uh, September 2009, um, there was a popular culture um, academic whose name was Ray Brown, who died in October 2009. And Chuck Galetta, uh, who works in Bowling Green, which is Adam Murdo's uh, alma mater, he sent me the obituary, and uh, Ray Brown founded the university's department of popular culture. And it was the first academic department in the country to do so in 1973. He had a quote that was uh, quoted in the obituary that was pulled from one of his writings. And it says, uh, popular culture, it is the everyday world around us, the mass media, entertainments and diversions. It is our heroes, icons, rituals, 
everyday actions, psychology and religion, our total life picture. It is the way of living we inherit, practice and modify as we please and how we do it. It is the dreams we dream while asleep. And in one of his writings, he mentions the concept of the ivory tower. So all of that was also going to be a part of the tower. And who knows, maybe it will be someday. So not only was it New Teen Titans, but it was all this other stuff as well. And I think I think Wonder Woman could fit, you know, as a Perez spinoff uh, podcast series. But um, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a couple of years before I get there, probably. A couple of years in um, New Teen Titans um, publishing chronology is what I mean, because I'm only on issue... I just did issue eight, right? So I got a long way to go to where the New Teen Titans hits 1986. But anyway, that is the big episode 300. That is your new Comics Wednesday recommendations. That is all for today. Send me an email, peter at thedailyrios.com. Visit the website and leave a comment there if you so please. You can always leave me an iTunes review. I want to thank everybody for taking a little bit of time out of their day to listen to my ramblings. And uh, this has been The Daily Rios for Wednesday, August 19th. I will talk to you tomorrow.